Welcome to the Shannon Plan. This is episode 18. We are fresh off of a 49ers loss. I am joined by Akash. Akash, what's up, man? What's up, man? Uh, new place. Same weekly recap of a loss. Uh, this one was extremely tough to watch. Um, you're just waiting for the game to end almost. Just the quarterback play was horrendous. It was unwatchable. And we watched it a second time and a third time. Just break down the film. And it was just, it was brutal. 23-15. And if you did not watch the game, lucky you. Also, you should know that Washington did not score an offensive touchdown, but they managed 23 points. That is very difficult to do. I'm not sure. That I, I'm sure you'd have to dig deep in the history books to find another team that scored 20 points without scoring an offensive touchdown. But as you mentioned, it just it was just not a great game to watch. And you you have to start with just Washington's defensive line because they stole the show in this one. They look like the Monstars from Space Jam, essentially. It was Montez Sweat. It was Chase Young. It was John Allen. And they just beat up the 49ers offensive line, to say the least. They were just more physical. They were faster. And they they set the tone from the jump, and, and it really didn't uh, it really didn't slow down. What was your takeaways from this game? Like, did you did you expect the the defensive line from Washington to dominate in the matter that they did? Yeah, I think last week we t- we hit on this, right? That was kind of the X factor is how were the 49ers going to be able to A, run the ball, and B, protect Nick Mullins. Um, You know, their edge rushers, Sweat and Chase Young, were fantastic. I mean, Chase Young looks like Nick Bosa light. Uh, Obviously, same school, drafted in the same spot, but he's just so physical, so fast off the edge. And then their inside guys, I thought you hit on this earlier, uh, that Lakin Tomlinson actually, like, didn't play particularly well. And their interior defensive line caused a ton of problems. And, yeah, their defensive line just got after it. I think what were the numbers? They had, I think, four sacks total and, like, 17 or 16 total pressures. Um, obviously, they forced the the fumble on Nick Mullins, which was returned for a touchdown. I think that was more on Nick Mullins. Uh, he, like, didn't protect the ball really well. Uh, then, obviously, he had the pick six, which I'd say was more on Mullins again. Yeah, just you can't. See, they just couldn't seem to overcome their the defensive line. It was something similar to the Eagles game earlier in the season where the Eagles defensive line dominated. Nick Mullins made mistakes and they lost that one. It's like really similar to that game. Yeah, so Washington, they, man, <laughs> as you mentioned, they were in the backfield all day. So they had, they hit Mullins eight different times. They sacked him another four times and they pressured him on 10 other plays you talk about Chase Young and, and that sack fumble. Something we something that I really haven't seen discussed. It was really impressive how he just broke McGlinchey's tackle. Like McGlinchey dove at him, had his like arms around him, and Chase Young with like the ball in it one hand, like a loaf of bread, just as ran through a tackle like he's a running back. He's just a freak show, complete freak show. And I mean, but Montez Sweat has like better numbers than him on the season and had a really, really good game, but a guy that we that really just isn't going to get the credit that he should in this one is Jonathan Allen. And he took Lakin Thompson to the woodshed and it was not great. I tweeted this out that Lakin Thompson was beaten more times in this game than he was in the previous three games. He was, he was playing like a legit all, but like he was playing very, very well at a very high level. And you just have no idea if you watch this game. So, I mean, I think it's just credit to Washington's defensive line because they overwhelmed San Francisco in every aspect. So, 
And you, you also talked about yeah, Nick Mullins and how he was responsible for a lot of the pressures. And we talked to Kyle Shanahan about that on Monday where he's just run out of clean pockets, man. He's not – he's kind of bailing on plays when he doesn't have to. There was one play I remember specifically where Mullins throws an out route to Brent Ayuk. There's no pressure. He looks left, looks at Mullins, and it's almost like <laughs> – this is going to sound very messed up – like a like a little league, maybe even a six-year-old quarterback. So he's, he's, he's drifting, he's drifting, and he just drifts – slowly but surely uh to Ayuk, still incomplete pass but that kind of just sums up how the game went where he's just locked on to guys doesn't really see the defense well and pressure just really broke Mullins on Sunday yeah he just there was the other play that I tweeted out the clip it looked funny because Justin Skew I think he was like lined up over Chase Young Young doesn't rush initially. He like backs up. It looks like he's backing up into coverage. Skewell kind of turns to his right, and then Chase Young rushes. Uh, it was like a delayed rush, and he takes down Mullins. And it's like Mullins is watching Young come free, and he like doesn't do anything with the ball. He pump fakes, I think. So that's where we think that sometimes, if Mullins was a little bit better, if he got gets rid of the ball quicker, if he's a little bit more mobile, if he doesn't move out of clean pockets, you could avoid some of these sacks and. Unfortunately, the offensive line gets like the brunt of the blame uh, on the interwebs because of this, because they see quarterback taking a sack, quarterback taking a hit, and immediately it's you know the O-line's fault, which makes sense. But when you go back and watch, it's not always the case, and sometimes unfairly that they're getting blamed. Uh, Kyle Juszczyk has struggled all season. Sunday was another example of that. He got bowled over on one sack. That was just a highlight play. But there were three other times where he just misses a block. And Ross Dwelly, same. There was a rough sequence for Kendrick Bourne where he dropped a pass. Next play, misses a block. Next play, false start. Next play, misses a block. That was in one, on one drive. He single-handedly ruined the entire drive. And after on that play, um, if you guys want to go back and watch Shanahan, just give him a little earful. You'll see that. Um, yeah, I just think that check the tight ends and the receivers have been abysmal blocking this year. And I, I, I wrote that Richie James has been like the best blocker. And, and somebody naturally told me that I don't watch the games and that I need to just do a better job at my job. But um, I just, they're, I mean, they're, they're all, they're just not doing very well on the perimeter blocking wise. And that's why the running game is really struggling. Not so much. Like you would think that it, it, it it's all on McGlinchey based on what you read on the Twitters, but I mean, he had he had a rough, brutal sequence at the end of the game. But if if uh, if if it weren't for that, you you would have no idea that McGlinchey played well or played poorly. But it just it just seems with McGlinchey and McGlinchey's case that it, it always comes at the worst possible time. So the 49ers, they're driving. They have a chance to tie the game. They have a twenty-some yard completion to Kendrick Bourne, where he makes a nice twenty-two. Catch. Yeah, twenty-two. Has a run catch behind. Uh, that's a pass that's behind him, and. It doesn't count because within like a second and a half, McGlinchey was beaten, so he has to hold sweat. And those are the ones that are just killer. And Matt Burrow has actually asked Shanahan after the game if it was a if this is a weight problem. Like, is McGlinchey does he need to add weight? Does he need to add strength in the offseason? Because uh, he he just somebody somebody pointed this out to me as well. Like he looks like a tight end out there. I'm not sure if that's the case. I don't know, you know, if other people are seeing that as well. But it just seems like. Every every game we talk about him because there are the same type of plays where he's getting beaten. And it, like, what do you think? Like, is this just who McGlinchey is at this point? 
Sort of. So I tweeted out a bunch of clips. I went back and forth with some of our favorite friends uh, about Mike McGlinchey because um, I think he just gets a bad rap. Like we talked about this early in the season. He has these like terrible misses. Like it comes at a terrible time. It comes on where, you know, uh, a game winning drive or just plays that they need to have. Mike McGlinchey gets called for a hold. He gets put on his back. Like, and when he messes it up, it's extremely visible because it's just a huge blunder. But if you watch the entire game, if you watch like 60-something plays, and you watch just Mike McGlinchey like I have a couple times this season, he's like generally okay. He's, he's been lined up against Chase Young, Montez Sweat, Ryan Kerrigan, I think. He's fine. He just holds up in pass pro. It is what it is. But I think the two plays that he screwed up, it just he just can't have those, right? But here's what I come back to. If you had better quarterback play, you won't be talking about those, right? We focus in on, you know, when an offensive lineman misses a block or a fullback misses a block or a tight end misses a block or there's a penalty or a drop and all these things because the quarterback is so limited that he needs everything around him to be just right for him to succeed and for the offense to succeed. And this this goes beyond just Nick Mullins. We've had this conversation last year with Jimmy Garoppolo, right? Where guys needed to be healthy. This needed to happen. That needed to happen. They needed like all these other things to happen for the offense to look good. Whereas when I, when I think of, you know, a franchise quarterback, you don't worry about who his right tackle is or whose right guard is or whose receivers are, whose tight ends are, who's healthy or whatever. Right. I think every tackle misses blocks unless you're like Trent Williams or like David Bakhtiari, but no one else gets talked about because you know, their quarterbacks typically mask those misses. And in McGlinchey's case, Mullins hasn't been doing that. So he's getting the brunt of the blame, which I don't necessarily agree with. Um, and then the other thing you hit on, that play where he holds sweat. I think, I thought Barrows asked Shanahan and Shanahan said that Jeff Wilson and Mike McGlinchey maybe talked about a chip. And on that play, it looks like Jeff Wilson kind of stops and then like runs his route, but doesn't really chip sweat. And so I wonder if there's like a miscommunication or something like that where McGlinchey anticipated Wilson chipping uh, sweat back inside or something like that because he gets beat on his outside shoulder. So I don't know what happened, but those are two big misses in a bad spot. It is what it is, but they've got they're not going to have five good offensive linemen. Just the way with the salary cap works, the way with draft capital works, you're just not going to be loaded at offensive line because then you're going to screw up some other part of your team. I think McGlinchey's like good enough. Uh, depending on his like weight and all that kind of stuff, is he you good? Should, enough? You should be better. Sure, absolutely. I think so. Is he good? Enough? Like, is this what we should expect from a ninth overall selection? I think that's what fans, you know, that's what's that's why he's getting critiqued so much is because where he, of where he was taken. Yeah, that's fair. It's fair to criticize, like if you know, especially he gets compared a lot to Quentin Nelson, right. who looks who's just phenomenal, all pro. Mike McGlinchey's probably never going to be that. But on the flip side, because of his play, his value, you know, his contract might be lower. So you're able to have him and like Trent Williams maybe as a result. Um, and he's good enough is all I'm, all I'm getting at. If, if he's your worst offensive lineman, that's like, you're absolutely fine. But I think right now, you know, they're on their like third string center and, They've had to shift their right guard around. They've got a rookie playing there who's not playing well. And so everyone just ends up blaming McGlinchey, 
And so he takes the brunt of it. And I think the other part of it is, you know, he tweeted out still here or whatever, like halfway through the season. And so he was like, he kind of victimized himself a little bit, which also allows people to come at him and critique him more. So if he, if he hadn't said anything, then maybe it like goes away. I don't know. He, he's kind of like the Eric Armstead of the offense where he just gets criticized for where he was drafted. Yeah, and that's that's through no fault of their own. And, you know, when you're drafted that high, it does come with expectations. And when you don't perform up to those expectations, you are going to hear about it. Speaking of expectations, Jimmy Garoppolo, Kyle Shanahan discussed that, you know, the, the idea of Jimmy coming back or not this year, it didn't make it, it didn't sound like we're going to see Jimmy this season just because, well, first of all, they did get good news. At first, his injury was – Shanahan said that, you know, it was one of the worst ankle injuries on the entire team where there has been 27 different high ankle sprains. Um, I don't think that we'd see Jimmy just because, you know, if we're going to talk about his value or whatnot, why would you ruin that based on how the offense has looked, based on, as we just talked about, the offensive line? You're, you're not going to want to put him behind that offensive line and just – you kind of feed him, leave him to the dogs because think about everything that can happen, all the possible scenarios that could happen. The most likely scenario would just be that he doesn't play well or the offensive line does not give him protection and you have another injury. So part of the reason was that Shanahan said he might, we might not see Jimmy for the rest of the season was that, you know, they don't know for still if he's going to be hundred percent, he still hasn't got the clearance from the doctor. So what do you, what do you think about Jimmy? Do you think we're going to see him the rest of the season? What's to be gained? I mean, okay, let's be honest, right? There's two There's two scenarios. Jimmy, The team believes in Jimmy Garoppolo, despite what we say, like like we have some say. But they believe in him. They want him to be back in 2021. Why would you put him out there? They're not playing for anything. The most important thing is that he's healthy going into 2021. So you just keep him on the sidelines like you do with some of the other guys, and you just roll him back out. The other scenario is you want to get rid of him. You want to trade him, whatever. There's enough tape on him. He's played, what? 32 games 33 games whatever the next two or three games aren't going to massively change his trade value and like you mentioned the only and then the worst case scenario is that he goes and gets hurt playing worse whatever i don't think that'll massively uh impact his trade value but if he gets hurt then you could be screwed because right now you have an out in his contract you can basically get rid of him and you'd only be on the books for like two or three million dollars that's totally fine if he gets hurt and he can't pass a physical come April or something like that, you'd be hosed. Ugh. So there, there's no reason for it. We'll talk about it later in the pod with the draft positioning. You have no incentive to win these games because they're not going to make the playoffs after they lost those last two games. So I just don't think there's any reason for it. I think there's more reason for you to start the other guys so you know more about your future than there is to play Jimmy. Yeah, and today, or actually on Monday – Kyle Shanahan was talking about he needs to make a decision at quarterback just because he didn't know if CJ Beathard will be an upgrade from Nick Mullins and CJ Beathard started to warm up a couple times on Sunday but never got into the game and Shanahan said that was because of um, you know Mullins led the team on a drive on a touchdown drive and then also Beathard wasn't warmed up okay <laughs> um, it, essentially you don't believe in CJ Beathard and that is clear as day there's 
we understand that that's evident i mean we we have all the evidence in the world why you do not believe in cj Beathard. the question is though moving forward next year you have to make a decision on cj or nick and let's say that you have to decide on one or the other we have a sample size good enough this season where we know Mullins is not the answer could he maybe give you something in a spot game maybe but you know he's not going to be a guy that can play six seven games and you can rely on we knew that before but we they don't really have much of a choice now so i think it makes sense for the 49ers to start cj if those are the only two options which they appear to be just so you have a decision whether hey maybe because he has three weeks to prepare he's the number one guy he has more weapons than he did previously who knows about george kittle we'll we'll get to that in a second but it would make sense to start C.J. Beathard in the event that, you know, you have to make that decision next year. And, he, I mean, he, he's going to be – <laughs> like, is he going to be our backup or not? So, three games left, Seattle, uh, Arizona, and then coming up this week against Dallas. Dallas's defense is just atrocious still. So, I – I mean, it just feels like another game where we're going to have sideline shenanigans from Shanahan where he's just disappointed at all the open receivers. But do you do you think that there's a possibility that um, we see CJ? Does it matter? I mean, no, yeah, exactly. I, I don't think there's any team or any, you know, uh, you know, people that cover a team that spends this much time talking about a backup quarterback than like the 49ers writers and podcasters do. Like, I, I swear, like, the last two or three seasons, we've been talking about backup quarterbacks forever. Why is that, Akash? Because <laughs> their starter gets hurt, clearly, like, all the freaking time for, like, like you texted us, like, the umpteenth time or whatever. <laughs> uh, I'll get to that. But on their backup quarterback situation, and Kyle Shanahan made a beautiful point, and you and I have been hammering this point home. When your backup quarterback, you know, has to play six, seven, eight games, the majority of the season, he's going to get exposed. He's going to struggle. There's a reason that they're backup quarterbacks. There's a reason that Nick Mullins was an undrafted free agent out of Southern Mississippi. He's not Brett Favre. There's, you know, same thing with CJ Beathard, right? There's a reason that he was a reach in the third round and he wasn't highly coveted and he hasn't looked really good. You know, when your starter is healthy and the backups never play, then all they need to be is a good locker room guy, a high level, you know, smart guy that's just there, right? But when he has to play, then he has to basically fill in the shoes of starting quarterback. And those guys just aren't good enough. Like, that's what it comes down to in the NFL. It's just the talent thing. Those guys just don't have it. They just can't make some of the throws. They're just not mobile enough, whatever. So I I don't think it really matters who you roll out, whether it's Mullins or Beathard for these next three games. I just think this comes back to Jimmy Garoppolo and a starting quarterback problem. If your starting quarterback stays healthy for 16 games, You do not care who the backup quarterback is. Like, do we talk about who Jared Goff's backup quarterback is? I don't even know who he is. Do we talk about Derek Carr's backup quarterback? Do we talk about Russell Wilson's backup quarterback? Like, these guys stay healthy. Like, at some level, even if you're, like, an above-average starting quarterback, you just got to stay on the field. Like, I got to be able to depend on you to start 16 games. And Jimmy Garoppolo has basically missed two seasons now in three years. And so it's like – that's why we t- harp on backup quarterbacks. And the other thing is for the people that are like, hey, let's just improve the backup quarterback and it'll be okay. But it's like, look at some of the other backup quarterback salaries. Marcus Mariota makes $7.5 million. Case Keenum makes $6 million. 
Nick Mullins makes like $750,000, right? You're saving that money to use in other spots because you bank on the $27 million guy to be out there. And he's not, you can't overcome it. So I don't think it really matters who starts these next three games. It doesn't even matter if they're back next year. I don't think they will be. I think the quarterback room just looks completely different. But you you just got to find a guy that can stay healthy for 16 games, a starter that can stay, stay healthy. And we don't even have this discussion. We don't even care who the backup quarterback is. Though I do think Bethard is part of George Kittle's contract because they're boys. I do think there's some like plus one type thing. Like Bethard is just like going to be on the roster forever. I do think that though. <laughs> we, will, we will see uh, next next March or coming up if uh, CJ is extended. So no, that's a great point. And honestly, uh, it's, it's just exhausting to see th- these arguments come up essentially every day on 49ers Twitter, because in the football world, nobody is concerned about the backup quarterback. You're concerned about the starter. If you have to talk about, well, they just need a better backup. Well, yeah, there's bigger problems. Who, who's the real issue here? And I don't, I don't understand why that's such a hard thing to understand. If you need a better backup quarterback, you need a better starting quarterback in the most simplest terms. Like there's no reason that we should ever be talking about a backup quarterback, as you said. He he missed he's missed mul- multiple games, almost a f- two full seasons. It feels basically, like basically, um, yeah. And you're just rotting away talent. And what's going to happen is, in the event that fans want, so the, the argument is bring bring in, or even if you say draft a quarterback and bring back Jimmy, which again doesn't make sense financially or logically football wise either. But let's say that you have another backup quarterback, whoever that may be. And Jimmy is hurt next October. Now you have three, four, how many games with a backup quarterback again, and you're in the thick of a playoff race. And because you decided to roll with Jimmy, he might be out of the playoff race. That, that just doesn't make sense. Why, why can we not talk about it in those lenses as opposed to we need to spend more money on a backup quarterback and ignore the 40 free agents that we have? Or the other lens that people don't hit on is, okay, you can Carson Wentz the situation and like draft a Jalen Hurts, some second round quarterback that just is there as a backup who can, you know, function if Wentz doesn't, Wentz gets hurt or whatever. But look at Wentz this season. I I read some report that Wentz's confidence was shot as a result of the draft pick and he wasn't playing well and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, if you, if you draft someone in the first round, late first round, early second, whatever, what do you expect? How do you expect Jimmy Garoppolo to feel? And how do you expect him to play? And all of a sudden, there's this quarterback controversy. And if you keep him, now you got 27 million on the books that you can't use, you know, anywhere else. And say he gets benched later on in the season, now you got this dead weight. Like, look at the Eagles right now; they're they just got this dead contract on their books, especially if Hurts continues to play well. And and so I don't I don't think fans quite understand that where they're just like, yeah, let's just improve the backup quarterback. No, nah, it's like, yeah, let's improve the starting quarterback, the guy that gets paid to play. Yes, paid to play. You're not going to have $27 million and then invest in the first or second round or spend $7 million on a backup quarterback just so you can have some protection for your starter. This is just whew, just not a smart line of thinking. And I, I I just don't know anybody that actually thinks like that outside of this event. <laughs> I don't either. I don't uh, either. Okay, so you mentioned George Kittle. George Kittle – Kyle Shannon said he expects to return to practice this week. Maybe just kind of get out there, run around a little bit. Realistically, if he were to play, it would be against Arizona. 
but they have eight losses right now. And you want to make sure that Kittle's foot is like 110%. There should be no risk of a setback. Yes, he is not a normal human being and he probably heals faster than most people, but I just don't see the benefit of having George Kittle play because of the risk. Like the risk isn't worth the reward. I'm not sure what the re- what is the reward, honestly. I have zero clue. I mean, so the thing that we talked about before we got on the podcast, George Kittle's contract's fully guaranteed. I think he's due like two and a half million dollars. He's got that in his bank account already. And he's gonna he's gonna cash those weekly de- direct deposits. There's no incentive, there's no bonus, there's nothing for him, you know, being out there uh every week. Now, if this was next year or the year after then he has, you know, I think $500,000 in per game roster bonuses, which basically means you take 500, you divide it by 16. Every time he's active, he gets a check of whatever that is, $30,000, whatever the math works out to. So in that case, then now he has some incentive to play because he wants those, wants that money. This year has none of that. Let's make sure he's healthy. Because the only thing that matters at this point is that you get a healthy roster in 2021. You get as high of a draft pick as possible. And you just move on to the next year. That's all that matters. So I would just keep George sidelined. I know he's not wired like that, but it's just for the betterment of the long term of this franchise. Yeah, it's going to take a very powerful voice to convince Kittle that he should not play, especially if he feels like he's healthy enough. But again, I mean, you have to think long term. You have to think big picture. And your health is far more valuable to this franchise than playing in a few meaningless games. So let's uh, let's the rest of the injuries that Kyle Shannon said. Debo Samuel, as you saw, his ham he lasted one play. His hamstring he has a hamstring strain. He's not going to play for the rest of the season. Shanahan said at, at first he made it seem like he would, but then Shanahan said we'd have to make the playoffs for him to come back. It was a tough conversation. Kyle said that he had with Debo, but it made it seem like. You know, Debo has to take care of his body, and he's going to figure out this is what it takes to play in every game. So, um, again. I thought that was interesting he said that. I I didn't think he was taking a shot at Debo's, you know, uh, the way he takes care of his body. Because I know he spent this offseason in uh, Houston. He was down there with uh, Footwork King and uh, Jarek McKinnon. They worked out with, like, Trent Williams and stuff. But I wonder if his injury and his inability to kind of stay in his routine, and then they kind of just ramp up really quickly. I feel like we take that, we don't regard, we we disregard that when it comes to athletes. We just think they come back from injury and they just go boom zero to a hundred, and it's like guys, there's like a process and like there's that's why you have training camp and all this stuff. And he didn't have that this year, so no, he didn't. And you could tell just when he came back, the Eagles game, he just he he was kind of lost the Dolphins game. He still looked a little bit out of shape. So yeah, we, that's a good point. You just have to acknowledge the human aspect of this sport, which we often forget. So Raheem Mostert has an ankle injury. Fred Warner has a shoulder stinger. Uh, Daniel Brunsko has a stinger in the shoulder as well. All three of those players will be reevaluated on Wednesday. So we'll have a better idea. The only other guy was Juwan Jennings, who Shanahan said ripped his hamstring in October. And that was the worst on the team. He Shannon said that he's hopeful Jennings can possibly play in a game before the season's over. And he said that he also added that, you know, he's probably going to practice, but it's a big off season for Jennings. So um, yeah, I'd be kind of interested just to see what Jennings could do. I mean, as we mentioned that the, the hopes, I mean, you're not, you're not going to rest your hopes on Jennings being this game changer. He was a seventh round pick, but just kind of get out there and see what he could do. I don't, 
I mean, I, I wouldn't expect him to do much of anything. What what would do you have any positive takeaways from Jennings getting on the field? Be cool to see him. I think we haven't seen him since training camp, basically, and seventh round pick guy. I don't have much expectation for what he's going to do. He just feels like a guy. So, yeah, I got nothing else on that. What are the odds that we see? Speaking of receivers that are injured and drafted by the 49ers, what are the odds that we ever see Jalen Hurd, <laughs> the ghost, the myth of Jalen Hurd in the 49ers uniform in 2021? Will he stay healthy? Yes or no? Mm, I'm going to go no. I'm going to go no. I, if you gave me like plus 400, 500, the, the odds would have to be steep for me right. to say yes and uh, take that bet. But I'm just leaning no. He's had brutal injuries. I feel like, again, as fans, we disregard, like, the mental part of, like, coming back from multiple injuries to playing like that. He's a physical player. He's had a back injury, and now this is an ACL, right? So it's going to be tough. Um, Yeah, I I just keep thinking back to – I think A.J. Brown and D.K. Metcalf were available when they took him. Is that right? Or was it just D.K.? Um, I think – I don't. I remember. think it was just DK. Yeah. I think it was just DK because AJ Brown was in the second round. In the second, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I just think back to that. That's rough. <laughs> I heard Chris Sims wrote something, and he what, and he did say that the Shanahan liked DK, just liked Hurd a little more because of his versatility. So. Yeah, and and the big thing that why DK fell was he had a significant injury history, and that that scared NFL teams away. Um. So. There was some good, <laughs> believe it or not. There was some good in the game. The defense was outstanding. The Washington's football team did not score an offensive touchdown, as we mentioned. And they came into the game hot with Alex Smith under center. But you would have no idea if you watched Sunday's game. Washington averaged 3.1 yards per play, 2.8 yards per pass. They, as I mentioned, didn't score a touchdown. Settled for a field goal on both of their red zone attempts. They also turned the ball over and were three for 15 on third down. Uh, Trent Williams was excellent once again. I'm, I feel like that game, like this is going to be the game where his kind, like in the offseason, pay me my money, like give me what I want because he made Chase Young look like an average football player. He made Montez Sweat look like an average football player. And those are not average football players. So he had a few blocks too where he's just out in space taking guys' heads off or launching himself at him on a screen block. Man, he's he's just amazing. He's fun to watch. And he's a really good left tackle that looks like he can play at a high level for a, at least a few more years. So whatever he wants, just give him the money, man. And, and the other guy <laughs> that really stood out was Brandon Ayuk, who – just continues to look like a wide receiver one, man. He's had five for the last five games. He's averaged just under like a hundred yards. Um, he looks like the real deal. Like we mentioned how he was, he's probably been the wide receiver one, even with Debo healthy, but I, I just, I don't, we're kind of running out of things to talk about with. Ayuk he's, he's doing this and he's doing it with a backup quarterback with some of the catches. So he finished with, over 100 yards, 10 receptions, 119 yards. A couple of those were screens. Of those 10 receptions, seven of them went for first downs. He had a drop, and that was the second week in a row. But, I mean, if if Ayuk is going to have a drop for <laughs> for every 100 yards, I will take that trade off and not have any issue with that at all. Some of the catches that he's making is what stands out. Man, He's making some very difficult catches in traffic, 
and he's kind of having to bail out his quarterback, which is what you need. Like, you drafted him high to be able to make those type of plays, man. So I just have nothing really – like, the drafts don't really bother me, and that's probably hypocritical because, you know, we, we talk about the guys like Kendrick Bourne. But you have to be able to do what Ayuk is doing. So uh, is there anybody else that really stood out in your mind? So just back, back to Ayuk real quickly. I went back. So since week seven, so he's played five games since then. Uh, which is odd because you're in like week 14 or 15 or whatever. <laughs> but um, he's third in targets among rookie wide receivers. He's third in targets, second in catches, second in yards, fourth in touchdown, first in yards after catch, second in first downs, first in yards per route run. Uh, he's first in PFFs overall and receiving grade. And now among all the receivers in the NFL since week seven, I think he's fourth in receiving grade behind – Adams, Michael Thomas, and Corey Davis. So he's been fantastic in his last five games. I think he's had five straight games of at least five catches and 75 yards. Um, He's the only player, only rookie to do that since Odell Beckham Jr. did it nine straight times. Shout out Josh Dubow for that stat. Um, So he's been in some elite company with all these numbers. Our producer, Rob Guerrera, thinks he's not a stud. If you uh, disagree with him, make sure to at him on Twitter, at Stats on Fire. So just let him know. Um, but aside from that, you hit on the two guys. I feel like we talk about him every week. It's Trent Williams and it's Brendan Ayuk, and then it's a bunch of dudes on offense. And it's like whoever steps up that week. Um, and defensively, I think everyone – I didn't go back and really watch the All-22 defensively. I thought they just played really well as a unit. Um, and Robert Sala kind of – showed why he deserves to be a head coach in this league and why one bad performance against a really good quarterback and Josh Allen shouldn't change what you think about Robert Sala. Like he just makes average quarterbacks look bad and they gave up what nine points defensively. They, I think some of the Washington football team's offensive stats on Sunday were just, just horrible. They only had 98 rush netting yard or net rushing yards they only have 95 net passing yards they had 3.1 yards per play like you hit they were three of 15 on third down oh two in the red zone if i just told you that you'd think the niners won easily but they didn't so those would be my highlights they did have to take the field on offense unfortunately so talking about brent are you going back to him there have been two receivers as i don't think you said this there have been two receivers in the franchise's history uh that are rookies to have 10 receptions in a football game one of those are jerry rice the other is brandon Ayuk. so uh not too shabby of company to be in and speaking of jerry rice Ayuk has a chance to break the 49ers rookie receiving record jerry rice set the record 927 yards brandon Ayuk currently sits at two, 660 yards needs 267 yards in the final three games. And as I mentioned, um, he's averaging 99 yards in the past five games or so. Kyle Shanahan, remember, go back to the George Kittle a couple years ago. He like he was giving Kittle, like he was making sure Kittle was going to get that record. So do you think we see more of the same where Ayuk is just get the ball, get the ball, get the ball, and we're going to break that record because I drafted this guy. I like – I feel like there's a lot of uh, ego that's going to come into play in this too. Not Nick, Nick, Nick Mullins being the top target. 
Nick Mullins is known for helping guys break records. Like everyone talks about George Kittle in 2018 breaking the all-time, you know, receiving record for tight ends. The part that they miss is that Nick Mullins was the quarterback, not Jimmy Garoppolo. And so it makes that stat even crazier. And so if I was doing daily fantasy or just fantasy football or whatever, take Ayuk. I mean, they're going to feed him. There's no Debo Samuel. There's, obviously, I don't think there's going to be George Kittle. They're going to feature him in this offense. And especially if this record is kind of in sight. I think Debo had 8 801 or 810 last year. So he was close. But obviously, there were more important things on their mind considering they were trying to get ready for the playoffs. So they weren't super worried last year, I would think. But this year, I think the focal point should be to just feature IU and feed him um, and uh, make sure he gets that record. The other wild, like, historic stat, Nick Mullins through 15 starts has, like, the third most passing yards ever. Do you see this? They put it on, like, the broadcast. Yeah. I was shocked. It's, like, him, Mahomes, and, like, uh, Kurt Warner. Uh, very – that that stat just lacks all the con- the context yeah. in the world. But it looks so good in a screenshot. Uh, that's like what Mullins like frames in his house like 20 years later like that's the kind of stuff that Mullins should take very happy you know he should be happy about that kind of thing but it means nothing in the grand scheme of things so we are going to take a break on that note and when we come back we're going to talk about some Robert Sala replacements as well as the current draft position all right so it more than likely Robert Sala is going to be the coach of the Detroit Lions next year I think that we all can Admit that he's he's probably not going to be back. The question now is who is going to replace Salah? And we've talked about a few options off air. And, you know, there are going to be some obvious options. And there are going to be some options out of left field. I, I'm pretty interested to see who all gets an interview. Like, who, where is Kyle's mind going? Or does he just have a guy set in stone? Is he not going to waste any time? One of the big parts of inter, or Salah leaving, the 49ers will get two third-round picks. And Sounds right. I feel like there's a way for a third year in a row to get that, but I, I'm just blanking that off the top of my memory. But Dan Quinn is an obvious option just because there are obvious ties to him and Shanahan. Shanahan was his offensive coordinator for two seasons in Atlanta. I So all right, you tell me what you think about Dan Quinn. So here's the first thing. you When you mentioned Dan Quinn, the first thing that went through my mind is – if I was Dan Quinn, would I go work for a former employee? So as everybody knows, Kyle Shanahan was Dan Quinn's offensive coordinator in 2016 in Atlanta in that Super Bowl year. All that stuff went down, and now was Dan Quinn going to come work for Kyle Shanahan? Like the guy that I gave orders to and like bossed around and all that kind of stuff. Now I'm going to do the same for him. I have a hard <laughs> time believing that just from like an ego standpoint. Like these guys have massive egos as – you know, if you don't think that, then I, you must not watch because these yeah. guys love being told how like good they are and all that kind of stuff. So I can't imagine Dan Quinn would come work for Kyle Shanahan. I, I imagine he would much rather end up in like Seattle with Pete Carroll, who he worked for before and who may want to switch up DCs. I think that's more realistic. What's your take? So – uh, Dan Quinn's not very good is my take. It's my <laughs> most simple, like, to the point take. Uh, when he's been the Falcons defensive coordinator, head coach, their defense has just not been good. They finished 17th, 30th, 17th, 19th, and 18th over the past five years in defensive DVOA. This season, since he's been fired, their weighted def- defensive DVOA with Raheem Morris is number 11. So, like, he, 
he's just not getting players motivated to play. And obviously anybody who, whoever they hire is going to have some success with the 49ers because they have Nick Bosa and Fred Warner. Like if you cannot have success with those two players, you are, you just don't deserve an NFL job. But I just don't think that Quinn, like it, we've seen him struggle. And the next guy I want to talk about Gus Bradley is in kind of the same boat where the only time we ever hear about the Chargers defense is because they got pressure against Mahomes, even though they still end up losing or whether they give up 20 points or whatnot. That's the only time we really hear about them. Every other time, it seems like, you know, we don't hear great things about the Chargers. And the reason that I would be out against a guy like Gus Bradley, who has a great relationship with Robert Sala, who's probably going to get recommended by Robert Sala because Bradley did the same for Sala to Pete Carroll. And he's always spoken highly of him. And Salah worked under Bradley for three seasons as a linebacker coach. But this year, the Chargers 22nd defensive DVOA. And I don't think Bradley has evolved past that Seattle coverage um, scheme where they're running cover three, essentially what Salah was doing before Joe Woods came along. What do you think about uh, Gus Bradley? I don't think super highly of him either. I went through and looked at their DVOA. They've been basically in the bottom 10, except for, I think, 2018 when they finished 10th. But their defense is loaded again, so it's it's hard to figure out like how much of that is Gus Bradley versus how much of that is just their talent, right? Obviously, they've got older Bosa, they've got Melvin Ingram, their DBs are pretty good, Casey Hayward, and uh, they got some young safeties that I like. And so I can't separate how much of that is Bradley versus just they're pretty talented. So I would just avoid that personally. And it, he's he this would be his third job, right? He was the DC in Jacksonville. And now the DC, or he was a head coach in Jacksonville, right? One of those. Yeah. And so, and now he's the DC and with the Chargers, I would just go, I would just steer in a different direction. That name doesn't really entice me. Right. And exactly. And that's the thing, like who's going to get really excited for that name. And um, the the results just haven't really been there for Gus Bradley. Um, a pipe dream that I would love, Wade Phillips, who recently coached the Rams. He's retired this season. Probably going to end up being the Raiders defensive coordinator. Wade Phillips is 73. The reason that I would gravitate towards him is because aggressive scheme has players in that aggressive mindset, knows how to scheme up a pass rush. Like he will get after the quarterback. And I can only imagine like how, how good he'd be for a guy like uh, even just Eric Armstead or Javon freaking Kinlaw, man. Like, get him with Chris Kosarek, they, I feel like they'd be just a home run. What do you think about Wade Phillips? I like that name. Son of Bum. That's his Twitter. I love that. He's uh, So I don't know what happened with him and Sean McVay. I thought he had gotten canned, right? He got fired, effectively. Um, and he stepped away, and he's just he's at home chilling. Um, I, th- I think you hit the nail on the head with his kind of aggressive play calling. Um I, I, he's also a lot older, so I don't know how he'd relate to players where Saul is just like energetic, fiery, a younger, more relatable guy where Wade Phillips would be like 70 plus. Like where does, like you're coaching up 20 somethings. Like, does that, does that really work? So yeah, I don't, I don't know on that one. I like the name better than Gus Bradley and uh, Dan Quinn though. Speaking of former 49ers coaches, Vic Fangio, probably not going to – there was a report that came out that he may be fired by the Broncos. I don't know if that happens. That's probably not going to happen just because he was built a, dealt a bad hand, and he really hasn't done too many negative things for Denver. But, I mean, 
Fangio would just be lights out. People are a little worried that um, they would have to alter their roster just because Fangio is known as a 3-4. I think he is smart enough to understand the personnel that is on the roster and would let Nick Bosa rush in from a three-point stance. I don't think you would have to worry about that. So um, I don't – do you have anything to add on Fangio? I don't think he's going to get fired. So Denver, I get their record looks bad, but – Got a ton of injuries. Drew Locke hasn't really looked good. I His defense has been fine, so I don't think he gets fired this season. I think he gets a year or so. That's probably off the table. Another name that has came up, because he does have a relationship with Kyle Shanahan, and he's a current interim head coach of the Falcons. Reem Morris, who I mentioned, has that defense playing at a you know a higher level than they what they were playing. They were below average, and now they're at least competitive. They're 11th in DVOA, as I mentioned, defensive DVOA. And Morris and Shanahan, they were they worked together in Tampa Bay. They also coached together in Washington and Atlanta. So you would think that there's a strong, solid relationship there. Morris is a younger guy. He feels like a guy that would be able to relate to players. And, again, if we're just talking about a defense who has a ton of talent on it and is probably going to get more talented, even when you add whoever the edge rusher they're going to add this season – or this offseason is, and cornerback. So, like, the defensive coordinator next year is going to be in good hands. What do you think about adding a guy like Raheem Mostert? And by Raheem Mostert, I mean Raheem Morris. I was going to say Raheem Mostert, yeah, running the defense. <laughs> no high ankle sprain that way. But, oh. um, ooh, ooh. Kyle fell back. Um, the other thing, so you hit on his, you know, just football acumen, all that kind of stuff. The other part of it is now with the whole Rooney rule, how they get hired and stuff. Obviously, Raheem most I was going to say Moster now. Raheem Morris being a minority candidate, if he were to become a head coach, which he hasn't been, I think he's done a pretty good job as interim head coach, actually. They look they have more life than they did with Dan Quinn. So if he were to get hired, then the Niners would get two third-round picks at that time. So there's also some additional incentive. I don't know if you want to look at it that way, but that – that's also on the table if you were to hire Raheem Morris. So um, I would tend to like him more than the other guys, particularly because of his age and just the way the Falcons have responded this season to him being head coach. So I prefer that to like a Bradley or a Quinn or even a Wade Phillips. Is there anybody else that we're missing? Any other uh, potential defensive coordinator candidates? Obviously we have in-house. So there's D'Amico Ryans who – might just be like another year or so away, or maybe not even year, just like the next cycle might be more fitting for Ryan. Uh, is it, Do you think it's too early for Ryan, or is there? do you have another name? I don't. I was going to say D'Amico Ryans. Um, I remember when he got hired and he was coming through the ranks, a lot of people, especially in Philly where he played, compared him to Mike Vrabel, right? Mike Vrabel, same thing. He position coach, then he became a defensive coordinator quickly, I remember Chip Kelly tried to hire away Mike Rabel, but he said no. He stayed with Houston, uh, where I, I didn't even think he was calling plays at the time for, uh, what was his name, Bill O'Brien. And then eventually he's now with Tennessee, and he's a good head coach. Um, so I see D'Amico Ryan's kind of in that path, where a player turned coach. Just I, th- I think he, especially with the linebackers, what he's done has been phenomenal. And if you want to kind of stick to the same, um, you know, group, then that would be a logical name. I remember one of my first training camps that I went to is 
2019. I, I just saw him interacting with the players. I saw what Ryan, like how Ryan commanded the players' attention. I saw his attention to detail. He just seemed like a really, really good defensive coach. He seemed like a guy that knew what he was doing. So I, I think he would be a great defensive coordinator. I just don't know if he's there yet. So, man, it, it, it just goes to show you that this defensive staff is very, very talented, and they have a lot of good coaches. So it's no surprise why they've had so much success. So let's uh, let's move on here and let's talk about um, the Cowboys coming up here. Not this was supposed to be an, a preview of the NFC Championship before the season. This this was going to be two double-digit winning teams, and this game was going to decide you know who's the number one seed in the NFC. And fast forward to December, neither <laughs> quarterbacks are playing. Both teams have now both teams are going from starting to or contending in the NFC championship to contending for a top five overall pick. If San Francisco loses this game, Akash, where does that put them in the draft order? Yeah. So right now they're drafting 12th at five and eight. Um, they are facing the Cowboys who are four and nine ahead of them in the draft order. So this is a massive game for draft implications. Say the Niners win this, uh, they move to six and eight and all of a sudden that could push them from potentially drafting in the top 10 to now potentially drafting like 14, 15, which could be the difference in you getting a franchise quarterback, getting a high end starter somewhere, all that kind of stuff. Cause we hit it at the start of the pod. The last few weeks that we've done this, it's been kind of like a, okay, can they make the playoffs or do we look at the draft? It's been this like seesaw almost, right? And fans have been going back and forth on Twitter of like, we can't tank. We've got to make the playoffs. And some are just like, we've got to tank. Now that the playoffs are out of sight, nothing matters. You just lose these games. Like I, there are no moral victories in beating Dallas. Like who's going to, who cares next season if they beat Dallas in a meaningless week 15 game? Like, None of that stuff matters. Like, lose out, lose these next three games, try to get as high of a draft pick as you can, and then just worry about the rest of the stuff. Problem is, in the NFL, the players don't tank, the coaches don't tank because of the way the contracts are, right? Players are playing for contracts, coaches are fighting for jobs, all that kind of stuff, so they just don't, like, flat-out tank because they're not worried about next year. As But you and me, the guys that will cover this team next year, hopefully, we're more so worried about that because we – kind of look into the future so that's kind of our take even though the team won't necessarily look at it that way that being said your take on it being like an nfc championship preview was like right on i remember when the schedule came out this was a sunday night game dallas 49ers massive rivalry um you know going back to the 90s uh the 49ers haven't played there in a while i know they typically have a really good um crowd there of like 49ers fans it was one of those games that I was like "Ah, I'd really love to go to Dallas to cover this game and now it's like I would not I would not go if you paid me to go because this game is just going to be so bad uh it's going to be a tough watch they got flexed out think about this they got flexed out for Cleveland New York (laughs) like think about that they got flexed out for Joe Judge's Giants and Baker Mayfield's Browns who were kind of entertaining last night but that's how bad it is so but draft position, that's that's this is massive for that. So as much as Kyle Shanahan wants to win this game, I wonder if some part of him in the back of his head he's thinking, man, if we lose this game, big picture in like March, I'm gonna be happier for it. So 
in my mind, based on everything you just said, start CJ Beathard. Like, why wouldn't you do that, right? Or Josh Johnson. You can, yeah, you can, seriously, you can use this as an audition, quote unquote, but you're also thinking ahead. So let me, let, and as you were saying that, a scenario came into my head. Let's say that they do have a top five pick. Now, you're probably going to lean more towards one of those younger quarterbacks as opposed to trading for a veteran because you're not going to give up a, a top five pick for are you going to give up a top five pick for Matthew Stafford? Like, Hell um, no. Um, number like 14, 11, what teens? Yes. Here, take this. But I feel like a, a top five pick is just so much more valuable where now let's say there's a guy that you really like early. That's not a, let's say there, I don't know much about the draft right now, but let's say that there is a crazy good uh, defensive lineman, of course, because of 49ers. So it's going to be an edge rusher. Um, but now you're in the top five of the second round. And you have those comp picks in the third round for whatever hires you made or solid leaving as well. You could put a package together where that would include you having um, you can maybe deal Stafford for a second and a bunch of third or a few of those third round comp picks and still have an, a potential um, game changing cornerback edge rusher, whoever that may be at the top of the draft. Or if you don't want to do any of those, you could just build through the draft and go quarterback early. And now you have, know something in the second round too so i feel like everything that based on everything you just said it's more incentive to play cj bethard because while he may not give you the best chance to win you can spin it as an audition and do what's best for your future obviously that's not going to be the mindset shannon has he's going to play the guy that gives him the best chance to win but man that that's uh that's pretty enticing just to just to put it like that i agree with that that's that's all you're looking forward to this week is because I think the next two weeks against Arizona and Seattle, not trying to look ahead, but those teams will have something to play for. Like Arizona is probably going to have to win those games to make the playoffs. Seattle probably going to have to win that game if they have any hopes of winning the division. So they're not just going to mail it in. It's really this game that I think that the Niners have to play safe, if you, however you want to term it, right? If they winning this game could really just change your kind of uh draft position so it's a big one um if you know just looking ahead to the game uh do we even need to talk dvoa i mean where's dallas is 27th in total dvoa 23rd in offensive dvoa 25th in defensive dvoa they're bottom 10 and everything their coaching staff not very good they've got a ton of talent i think the 49ers win yeah it's week 15 dallas is a terrible team San Francisco is favored over the terrible team. San Francisco was also favored over the Bills, and we saw how that worked out. So Vegas has not learned their lesson on Mullins yet. And to be fair, neither have I. So who am I to judge? And I don't think, yeah, I would imagine the 49ers win just because why not? <laughs> um, I don't. I just don't think Dallas is very good. But I, I don't really want to even think about the game right now. <laughs> so I don't either. Uh, let's. Uh, I feel like that's a good place to call it because we we had some uh, we had enough good talk about the, about everything that's happening in 49ers land, the future, the present, the now, the moves that they're going to make. So, uh, Makash, is there anything else you want to add, plug, promote before we get out of here? Nothing else. Just uh, keep watching Mike McGlinchey. He plays well for like 90% of the time. Follow Akash on Twitter for uh, because he is a Mike McGlinchey stand for sure. I'm I'm kind of ready to just to get into the, the free agency and the draft talk because to me, 
that's like what we're going to talk about over these next couple of months. And it's going to be a little repetitive, obviously. But once we get into the actual action, that's when it'll be it'll be very entertaining. So thank you for listening. Please leave us a five star review on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever it is that you get your podcast and go Niners.